When we are saved, when we recognize salvation in Jesus, uh, this salvation is not only for ourselves. We are called to a greater mission. We are called to participate in something beyond ourselves. Uh, It can be hard, however, to follow this mission in a world that is so broken, in a culture that seems so very far away from what God intended. Uh, But we're going to be looking at how we are called into that mission, how we can do it better, how we can uh, sort of set aside maybe some patterns uh, that we've learned as as believers and and really step into what our God is calling each of us to do. And we're we're beginning by looking at the very beginning of Scripture. We're looking at the very beginning uh, uh, of uh, creation. And we learn a few things, but the first thing we learn is that we are all world builders. We often see this in the imaginative play of children who create their own worlds almost every single day with toys or, or drawings on a blank page or words that make stories that make sense of their world as it is and, and dreams for their future. If you watch a child of any age play with their toys, you quickly see that everything they do has a purpose and it has meaning. They aren't just pretending, they are building. Their car or their doll or their Legos can have personalities. Their block city has a story. Their stuffed animals are on an adventure. There is meaning behind what they do. Perhaps not surprisingly, some of the most popular video games that are out there tap into that same human impulse for world building too. Uh, There's a game called Animal Crossing, and you create a small town on a deserted island, which you build from the ground up. Uh, Minecraft, if you've ever heard of Minecraft, if your grandkids have ever played that, it encourages users to explore and find resources to build whatever you can imagine. I had a student uh, at my previous church, I said, you know, we got to think about different ways to do evangelism. And at Christmas time, he created a manger scene in Minecraft. He found the materials, he built a manger scene in this virtual world, and he had people come and visit it, and people would say, well, why did you build that? And it gave him an opportunity to talk about Jesus, something that he built. SimCity is is an older game, there's lots of different versions of that, but it asks you to create and help a city flourish. Uh, For some reason, my city always ended up bankrupt. (laughs) I spent way too much money on parks and libraries, basically is how that works. Uh, But we all have this creative impulse. In more practical terms, world building happens every day of our life. Our lives are shaped by our choices and reactions. Our homes are like personalized planets. They reflect what we like and value. I remember going into uh, college and being able to kind of choose what my dorm room would actually look like. I didn't have a whole lot of money to make it look nice, but I could make it look like how I wanted it to look. Even if we aren't out there negotiating treaties with leaders of nations, we not only participate in, but inevitably contribute to forming the world in which we live. Our very existence influences uh, uh, our world. Author Paul Pastor writes, there's no place we go in the world where we don't leave our mark. 
that mark of human presence and culture. Whatever our branch of endeavor, whether we are uh, an artist or a construction worker, uh, concrete or abstract, it's impossible for us, to, for us not to make something out of nothing, to make our world more meaningful. The first chapter of Genesis, however, reveals our world-building tendencies begin when God makes humanity in his own image. In the beginning, God fashioned his children with the specific purpose that reflected his own character and activity in the world. The earliest command in scripture that we find is in this chapter, and it comes at the end of Genesis 1.28, where Yahweh directs our first parents to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, the Hebrew words used here add clarity to these instructions. And they are a command. It's an imperative. It is not, oh, do this when you have time. It is, this is your purpose. Do this. Subdue means not only to conquer, but take control and fashion. Like when you are making something with your own hands. Rule means to have dominion, but it also can mean to shape in the way that you think uh, best. In other words, God created our world and he created it good, but he also set humanity as partners to continue the work he'd begun. In the very, very beginning of our scripture, God tells Adam and Eve to work with him to make the world even more sublime, to shape the creation in ways that would end up multiplying his goodness, creating even more wonder and joy, creating things that would point back to his grace and love. Uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project summarizes the project set before humanity like this. The story opens with God confronting chaos to bring order and beauty and creation. A special designation, however, sets humanity apart. He makes humans in his image, a concept that has to do with their role in God's world. Humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. Together, men and women embody and represent the creator in his creation. On the first page of the Bible, we might expect to hear how it is God alone who rules over the world, but this is our role. Born not to be enslaved, but reign alongside the creator. We are kings and queens of the universe, appointed representatives to rule God's good world on his behalf. We are to harness the world's potential, to care for it, and to help it flourish. God gives them a garden from which they can begin their task of building the world. Now, the initial command remains good news for us today, revealing not just our overarching purpose, but how we should fill our days. We aren't just designed to make it through this life below thinking of what comes next, of thinking only about our own survival. We are called to help this world flourish in the way that God originally intended. We don't just exist. 
We share a common mission, a, a calling to help shape this world into a reflection of God's kingdom. We are employed, essentially, by our good father to remake the world according to his eternal standard, to live in ways that increase goodness and beauty and kindness. Now, on some level, this should give each of us a deeper sense of worth and dignity. You matter in God's plans. You have a part to play in his plans. You are named as co-creators of this world. Uh, If you think about like a mortgage, the mortgage of this world, you are included. Your name is included on it. We can wake up every day with a holy purpose. The problem, though, is that we don't live in the days just after creation. In those days, God walked with humanity in the cool of the night. He directed their path and showed them what to do next. And the people saw him clearly. There was nothing separating them from their God. But we live in the days after humanity's rebellion, a broken world where humanity walks apart from God, ignores his commands and forsakes his plan for creation and our own lives. In this world, saturated with both sin and evil, the creative impulse in each of us is bent, not to serve our good father, but ourselves. Trying to figure out how to follow God's design seems difficult, if not impossible. Even if we stumble across part of his plans, we struggle to convince others to help us. And whatever we do build never seems to last, and that leaves us discouraged. How can we hope to influence a world, a people whose minds And hearts and souls have drifted so far from the Lord. If the culture in which we live continues to rage against our God, wouldn't it be better to leave those people to the consequences of their own choices? Looking at the culture around us, we might be tempted to abandon the project God has given us altogether, to step away from the chaos to preserve ourselves for our own safety. Or, on the other hand, we might be tempted to fight back against the brokenness, defining ourselves by what we stand against instead of what God tells us to stand for. Thankfully, the first command, along with other parts of Scripture, offers us another path forward. We are not designed to run and hide from the brokenness. We aren't called to fight and criticize the ways our neighbors have it all wrong though we're tempted to do that pretty often. Rather, we are designed to build something more hopeful, more loving than anything the world could ever hope to provide. God called humanity to build the world at the first creation, but he calls us now in the brokenness and the chaos through Jesus and the Spirit to restore what sin and evil has broken. We're not called to escape or condemn this world, but to build it again, to make it new. Jeremiah 29 provides a picture of what the people are called to do while living in this fallen world in which we all live. Now, in Jeremiah 29, we find the people of Israel has been conquered. They've been enslaved. They're in an unfamiliar culture. They're in a foreign land. And the Lord commands the captured people of Israel 
not to rebel or abandon their faith, but establish the ways of God and their own lives and habits. He commands the people of Israel to step into their identity as his children and bless the people around them. Don't surrender. Don't run away. Don't fight, but transform the world in which they live. Change it. Do things that make the world around them better. He tells them to build homes and plant gardens, get married, have children, help your grandchildren, uh, uh, help your children get married, and then, have, and then let them have grandchildren. And all of them, you will, uh, he asks them to teach them to do the same. In their own little ways, they are called to engage the world with such deep purpose, they make the broken world a little bit less broken and a little bit more beautiful. Paul's encouragement in Romans 12, 21 to the early church reaffirms and kind of echoes the purpose God gives to all his children. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's not just mere encouragement. That is a reminder of a new reality. And Jesus, God has joined himself to his children in ways that alter the status quo of human existence. We are not called just to endure the brokenness. We are called to push back against it. In Jesus, we are free to begin again the project that so long fell apart at our first parents' rebellion because the power of sin and evil has been rendered null and void. In Jesus, we step into the original calling God places on humanity and see it to completion in ways never before seen or imagined. Like our first parents, we are called to build a new world because the person who lives in us, the person who is directing us and leading us and guiding us is bigger than the brokenness that we see around us. This is good news. But of course, knowing this is our calling might make us a bit uncomfortable because it's a big calling to remake the world, to build the world, to make it look more like God's kingdom. That's a big ask. We might get a little bit overwhelmed at the magnitude of fulfilling this mission. What can I do? How can we remake the world when everybody's gone so deeply astray? How can we rebuild things when it's all gone so wrong? What part do I have to play And I only have small gifts at my disposal. I don't have infinite resources. I can only do so much in my own forgotten corner of the world. Even if we had every resource available to us and every ounce of sin were removed from our souls, it would take lifetimes, generations to build something that mattered, that lasted, that genuinely reflected The kingdom of God, because remaking the world is not a small job. We can't get it done in our spare time or on Saturday afternoons. But the intimacy and immediacy of our God's first command to Adam and Eve should renew our hope. Notice that when he directs them to help the world flourish, he asks them to start small. They are called to steward and expand his goodness throughout the entire universe, but they begin in their own corner, 
helping the garden that he planted flourish. The larger mission of blessing the whole world remains, but he asks them first to do the best they can in that moment in their own neighborhood. And the same goes for us. Any one of us can make a difference for the kingdom of God when we allow the spirit to move in and through us. No matter how small we think our contribution uh, our contribution might seem, the spirit uses the gifts and talents of every believer to help make this world new. Which means the work we do, no matter how small, matters. Andy Crouch, who's a Christian author, writes that the most dramatic cultural change almost always starts small. That's true whether you're talking about the culture of your local elementary school or a feature film that grosses millions of dollars. Jesus altered the fabric of the world with basically three core friends, 12 disciples, and a larger following of about 120 people. That's what he began with. The same principle works today. He writes, the number of people who can fit comfortably in your own car can mobilize a slightly bigger group who can turn and turn influence an entire community and eventually a region or nation or even a world. Take the example of one of the most uh, faithful women of the last century. Uh, so we know Mother Teresa. Uh, uh, we know who she is. She spent her life uh, devoted to the sick and, uh, and needy. But she didn't set out to really do that. She set out from Romania to be a school teacher. Moved by compassion, she only started caring for the sick because she noticed the desperation of a few people in her own neighborhood. She did not intend to kickstart a movement that redefined the value of people typically overlooked and forgotten by a selfish world. But over time, what she did made a difference. And her influence grew beyond her. She elevated habits of life in a dying world, clearly declaring the goodness of God through her work and her words to people around the world. That's just one example, but the same happens with us whenever we start building God's kingdom here. Every moment of our lives, we are given opportunities to use our own gifts to make this world more beautiful and good and kind. We are called to participate in the greatest restoration project of all. And the great news is our God teaches us how to do this whenever we walk in the ways of Jesus. We make this world more like his kingdom whenever we allow the spirit to direct our words and our hands to take control of our choices and decisions and remake our own thoughts and dreams. The very good news is that the restoration of the world begins in our own souls. It begins in us. So today, let us begin to make our corner of this world more like his kingdom. And let that work begin with us and in us. Let us establish peace and restore hope. Let us freely love 
others like Jesus loves us. Let us proclaim the truth of our God's mission and remake this dying world. Let us model love and kindness and peace and gentleness and self-control so that we each in our own small but essential ways build the world as God desires it. Let us create new patterns that run against the patterns of this world so all people might know our God is still alive and active and moving, that sin and death are on their way out and abundant life has come to stay. Friends, we are called to build the world. Let us do that. Hallelujah. Amen.